Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. Just across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, man? Uh, my, uh, I have a very esteemed coaching colleague joining us on the show today uh, for, for my quick slant. So it'll be, uh, it'll be an interesting show, man. I'm excited to be here. Got a, got a, uh, got a pretty decent week in college football, but... It's always good to be here on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So any day is a good day that we're on the air. So glad to be here. Well, I'd be remiss if we did introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who tips his hat to the new constitution, takes a bow for the new revolution, <laughs> our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Uh, can never go wrong with the Who lyrics. No, you never can. Um, well, it's not exactly the sexiest slate of games this weekend. Only one rank versus rank matchup. Uh, the entire SEC seems to be taking the week off. Um, you know, Coach, you and I had dinner tonight, and you said that, uh, you know, when the marquee matchup on CBS is Kentucky at Georgia, that something has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, not exactly, um, you know, not not last weekend, that's for sure. But that's not going to dissuade us. Uh, so let's get started like we always do with some quick slants. Uh, Josh, you are up first. Well, there was a firing this week at a certain school that we like to have uh, funny segments of. Uh, their name includes the word Kansas, but it's not Kansas. I'm talking about Arkansas getting rid of athletic director Jeff Long, uh, the, the chancellor, said, quote, he lost the support of many of our fans, alumni, key supporters, and members of the university leadership. Uh, so basically that is everyone. Uh, talked about how in the last year football hasn't been going too well, and he's lost the confidence of the school. Uh, so why does that matter? Because Jeff Long is on the quote-unquote playoff committee, a guy who's not qualified to do his own job, is one of the few select voices that is allegedly qualified enough to pick the two best teams. What does he know about football? Let me tell you again, his prominent coaching hires between Pittsburgh and Arkansas has been Brett Bielema, Bobby Petrino, and Dave Wonstad. This is why the playoffs are ridiculous. Preach. Preach. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've not been a, a fan of Jeff Long for, you know, a, a while. I don't understand why he was the first chairman of the college football committee. I don't know who was making those decisions. But, I mean, does he have – was he ever a coach? Josh? Uh, not that I know of. Did he I mean, play Did he play college football? Uh. If it's anything like his administration career, he did not play it well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I mean – oh, no, I'm looking back. Wait, he played quarterback for Ohio Wesleyan. Mm, yeah. Um, 
And then he was uh, he, he coached as a uh, graduate assistant at Miami of Ohio, uh, then at uh, North Carolina State. Then he was a tight ends coach at Duke for a year. And then he was a graduate assistant at Michigan uh, until he gave up coaching in a 1988 move to be an assistant AD at Rice. Oh, yeah. Being like, there's just a difference between being a fan and being an administrator and being qualified to evaluate teams. Yeah, he has not shown an ability in his in his administrative career to adequately evaluate college football coaches, which is an extension of evaluating how good something in football is. Yeah. So, um, anyhow, I'm not sure that uh, Kirby Hocutt is any more suited to that job than Jeff Long is. You know, I, I, I don't. I mean, Josh. In an ideal world, obviously there wouldn't be a committee. But if if there if there still had to be a committee, who would you want chairing it? I mean, that's like you you can't give me that because there. As soon as you have a committee, you have devalued football. It should be really simple of the eight-team playoff, the Power Five champions are all in it, and three at-larges, and one of the at-larges has to be the highest-ranked group of five team. So you have two at-larges that can go to anybody. That's simple. That's the fairest playoff to have. So as soon as you have a committee, uh, you're getting competing interest to what football needs to have. How do you choose those two at-larges? So this might sound like blasphemy, but I don't get what was wrong with the BCS computers. The problem was just having two teams is not a big enough sample. But no one is going to be debating the computers for who they pick eighth and who they pick ninth. Uh, And I use college hockey as an example. They have the pairwise rankings. It gets like 30 points of data it compiles a whole bunch of stuff and spits out the teams and they're seated almost identically to one through 16 in the pairwise rankings and i have never heard of a college hockey fan complaining no because they are a well a you know obviously it's a 16 team tournament for college hockey so that gives you a little bit more leeway but you know it's still i i think that that's about as good of a model as we have in college sports I don't think anyone hates using a computer ranking. They just hated that it, for the BCS, it was the only two teams. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree with that more. All right, Coach, uh, what are you slanting on today? What am I slanting on? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, hold on, my phone's ringing. Hang on, let me get this. All right, uh, very special guest we have. Uh, we, we got him. We were able to catch him in his bye week. All right. He's going to talk a little Pac-12 football with us. I was able to catch him on the West Coast before he went to bed. Uh, Mike Leach, everybody. Let's welcome Mike Leach. No, oh, thank you for joining us uh, today, well, Coach, Coach Leach. Leach or, or do you prefer being called the Pirate? Well, uh, just just whatever whatever whatever's you know suits suits you, I guess uh, there, uh, Professor. But uh, I just wanted to talk about the you know the, the slate of uh, you know Pac-12 games and. Uh, well, you know, I, I I had for lunch today. I, I was out on the road recruiting down in uh, you know down in Texas, and I came across some, some barbecue. And uh, you know, they make really good barbecue. 
down there in uh, down there in Texas. The 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 brisket. I don't know if you've had that, uh, Mr. Perkins, but uh, Coach, I I always thought of you as more of a ribs man. Well, uh, I was, and then I had the, you know, then then the great debate is, you know, brisket, brisket versus ribs, and you know, I I just don't know. I I have to I have to decide, but you know, you slather the sauce all over the brisket, and you know, it's uh, it's it's really good. So the but it's all about the sides, I guess. And uh, I don't know how you gentlemen feel about sides, uh, Mr. Cook. I don't know uh, what you think about. Uh, you know, some good sides. Uh, well, I have, a, I have a question for you, Coach. Uh, before you were brought on the program, our other coach, Coach Corey, said that he was glad to catch you before your bedtime on the West Coast. I'm wondering, do you go to bed at 7 o'clock at night on, uh, on most nights? Well, I try to. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes I, uh, sometimes I got to stay up a little later. I, I, I get into some some pretty good books every once in a while like uh i read this book on uh you know it's called the art of war uh, i read that the other day it was uh it was really good i just couldn't it, put it, it out it, it takes a, a lot of people a little bit longer than a day to get through uh sun Tzu. I'm, I'm very impressed you're able to get through it in one day well uh, that's why i'm so tired right now i you know i, I was able to get through it you know well, i mean if you're, if you're bedtime at seven o'clock that really does not bode well for those uh classic pac-12 after dark games no, it really doesn't. But uh, you know, DVR is really good, and uh, <laughs> you know, we, we do a good job there at uh, in Pullman with uh, our video staff. They, you know, they they pull a lot of those games for me. And uh, well, I mean, let's I, face it, there's not a whole lot else to do out in the Palouse. Well, you'd be surprised. I uh, there's this museum. You know, I walked in there after having a nice sandwich at, at lunch, and. Uh, Walked in there, and uh, there's a lot of information. It's, uh, it's a historical art museum, and you know a lot, a lot of information there. And you know, I, I got there at about one o'clock, and well, I think I made the manager mad because he wanted to close up, and I told him he was ridiculous, and you know, how dare I stay there till ten thirty at night? <laughs> that that's a that's quite impressive coach i mean how do your players feel about that i mean were you did you just skip practice for the day do they just like coach themselves at this point i mean i mean luke falk's been there for like since the truman administration well yeah i got a good staff and uh we we you know we practiced in the, in the morning we practiced early in the morning in the indoor it was cold and i felt like the players needed the day off so uh i, I you know i took off at about lunchtime and you know, we practiced early this morning at 6.45, and, you know, my coaches handled all the uh, no-shows to class, and we were good to go. Well, uh, Coach, I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. Uh, we'll have to get you back to the little coaches' roundtable with our old friend, the old ball coach, and maybe Lou Holtz can join us as well. Oh, Lou. I haven't talked to Lou in quite some time. How's how's uh, how's Coach Holtz doing? Um, I couldn't understand because I was f- too busy wiping the spittle off of my face last time we talked. Oh, he's a good guy. He's one of my friends, but I'll have to tell him. I'll have to tell him to come back. Uh, you know, I, I'll, uh, obviously, um, obviously, we would have also liked to have Arizona State head coach on, but um, the Bluetooth connection just was not working today. Yeah, you know, he uh, he did he went against my advice. I. I called my friend Todd down there and told him uh, which which company to go with. And I, I guess he had his own ideas and well, the rest is history. 
Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Coach. And uh, best of luck for you and the Cougars uh, going forward, especially in the Apple Cup out there. Uh, you know I'll be rooting for you. So oh, you um, and, yeah, uh, have a good one and, uh, and get some sleep. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful show. Enjoy listening to you guys. And, uh, it's, uh, it's very good. So uh, keep up the good work. Uh, Coach Burton, if you ever need anything, just call me. You know where to find me. Well, that was a treat, folks. Thank you so much for joining us, Coach Leach. Um, I don't know how I'm going to hey, follow right, him I'm, up. I'm back. What did I miss? <laughs> oh, uh, just a quick conversation with an old friend. That's all. Oh, okay. It was, it was nice, though. He, uh, the Pirates had to uh, to get him up on the horn if you have any questions about the air raid offense. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Good, 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 good. 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 All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, I don't want to catch him. You know, if it's past his bedtime, it's, it's kind of cranky. Yeah, no. That'll happen when you're uh, an old scallywag like he is. So did y'all, did y'all analyze the uh, Pac-12 slate, or was your special <laughs> guest able to – uh, I, I, we, we, the, the only plate we analyzed was the one from the barbecue pit. Ooh, barbecue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's big on the brisket. I, I always pegged him as a ribs man. Ah, uh, well, but, he, he did spend some time in uh, Texas tech. In mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no surprise there. Well, it's time for me to get to my first slant and I wanted to look at two matchups in our adopted conference, the American, and we're going to start in the Illadelph where temple is hosting an undefeated UCF for a noon kickoff on Saturday at the link. The Owls are coming off of back-to-back wins over Navy and Cincinnati, and they're finally starting to round into form after a tough start to the year. First-year coach Jeff Collins isn't quite having the same success as Matt Rule had over the past few years, and that's really shown on the offensive side of the ball, where they have not been able to establish much of a run game, only averaging 123 yards per contest. UCF obviously is not only the class of the conference, but one of the most explosive offenses in all of college football, leading the country at 49 points per game. And they are also racking up 538 uh, yards of total offense per contest. Per contest, um, quarterback Mackenzie Milton has been getting all the headlines, and rightfully so, as he has been outstanding, completing 70% of his throws with a great touchdown-interception ratio of 22 to five. But what has really impressed me is how balanced this team is overall. They've got nine players who have uh, either two that have at least 200 yards of either rushing or receiving so far, led by their wide receiver Traquan Smith, who has 40 catches for 761 yards and 10 scores. Although Temple has looked improved of late, I still expect the Golden Knights to roll. Uh, the spread on this one is 14 with a 55.5 point over under. Uh, I like UCF to cover and hit the over without a problem. I mean, they're averaging 49 alone. To put the over under at 55.5, I think, is a little bit insulting to the Golden Knights. Um, kicking off at the same time as that UCF Temple game is another matchup in the American of teams who will be going bowling this season when SMU heads to the Liberty Bowl to take on Memphis. Ponies have dropped the last their last two games against Navy and the aforementioned Central Florida Golden Knights, but have been very competitive in both games, losing by a combined 10 points um, to the two powerhouses of the conference. Memphis needs to be on their toes, though, in this one because SMU quarterback Ben Hicks can really sling it around the yard. Uh, he's got an outstanding receiving core, headlined by a wide receivers Cortland Sutton, Trey Quinn, and James Proche, who have combined for nearly 2,600 yards and 24 touchdowns this season. 
On the flippity flip, Memphis uh, keeps rolling under second-year head coach Jay Norvell with quarterback Riley Ferguson atop the conference leaderboards in many statistical categories. Uh, he's thrown for 2,881 yards and 27 scores so far in the 2017 season. I'm expecting a high-scoring affair with Memphis eking out a win. I'll take SMU to cover the 10 and the 12 and a half point spread on the road, but Memphis should still get the W. Um, all right, Josh, uh, what have you got for your second slant? Yeah, my second slant is uh, some hardware for under the radar first year coaches. So no one from a power five team, uh, no one like major apple white who, uh, you know, took over a really good team like Houston. Uh, no kind of retread, so we're ignoring Randy Edsel for this. This, this is kind of like some off-reservation stuff. Uh, no Je- Jeff Tedford, someone that we've talked about at length in this show. So these are- we, we, we must say, though, Tedford has done a truly outstanding job. He's got that team at, exactly. uh, at, at first in the, in, in the Mountain West. Exactly, and it's comments like that that we've made multiple times during this show, which is why he was not up for consideration in my under-the-radar uh, so by three coaches who are not having good debut seasons, uh, the bronze medalist, Jay Norvell at Nevada. This is a guy that we want to root for. He's from Madison, played at the University of Iowa. But unfortunately, he's taken over a 5-7 and seven Nevada team from last year and has them going 2-8 and eight right now. In all eight losses, they've given up 30 or more points. That defense is a train wreck right now and their only wins are Hawaii who is not very good three and seven and San Jose State who is even worse at one and ten so not a good debut season for Norvell uh next is Luke Fickle uh Cincinnati was a train wreck when he got there so it's not all on him but they're three and seven and just one and five in conference uh which was a one-point win at a not-so-great Tulane team. Uh, Their only other close conference game was an overtime loss to SMU. Other than that, they are getting shellacked week in, week out by uh, fellow American teams. Um, They have East Carolina and and Connecticut left, so maybe they finish strong. But thus far, it has been ugly with their only wins. An FCS team, Miami of Ohio, and Tulane. Uh, and then finally, Mike Sanford Jr. taking over Western Kentucky. This team went 11 and 3 last year and 7 and 1 in conference. What have they done this year? Well, they're sitting at 5 and 5, 3 and 3, and already out of the conference race. That's a big slide that none of us really expected. I don't know who you put it on other than the head coach. So let's look at the positives, though. The three best coaches. Uh, so far, they're on the radar. Bronze medalists right now. Western Michigan. I know they're not as good as last year. They had a whole bunch of talent depart, and yet Tim Lester's gotten them to 6-5 and five already. They're going to go to a bowl game. They finish with uh, a pretty winnable game. Not so much. That was a joke. They finish at Toledo. So they'll probably be 6-6, six and six, but still, that should be enough to get them to a bowl game since there are a million bowls. Nice debut season. Uh, silver medalist, and this was tough. I was thinking about making him the uh, gold medalist. That's how tight these last two, but I, I went with silver. That's Sean Elliott at Georgia State. Uh, he took over a three and nine ball club, has them six and three and five and one 
in the fun belt. Awesome year by the Panthers. My gold medalist is Butch Davis. Uh, Florida International went four and eight last year, but it was an ugly four and eight. This team was really bad under North Turner or Ron Turner, excuse me. Uh, they would have been even worse under North Turner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a team that's had multiple losing seasons year after year after year after year. Uh, I went back and found their last winning season, 2011. This is one of the worst programs. And in his debut season, Butch Davis has them 6-3, and 4-2. and two. Ultimately, the deciding factor uh, for me and why I went with Butch instead of Sean Elliott was I think Conference USA is just a smidge better than the Sun Belt. But these three coaches, uh, you know, got their teams to bowls already in their debut seasons. Awesome stuff from those three coaches. Excellent, excellent. Coach, what do you got for your second slant? Well, it's going to be the daily football scoop here. Um, Just wanted to uh, give you a report from Kansas State. Um, Although uh, a replacement is in sight for the 2065 season, as uh, Bill Snyder will go, uh, will probably retire in 2066, I think. Um, So they're going to line up Huck as the coach in waiting. In all seriousness, uh, Kansas State, uh, there's some drama going on there with uh, the old athletic director, John Curry, who's now at Tennessee, uh, apparently had an agreement in place to bring in uh, Jim Levitt uh, as the head coach in waiting for when Bill Snyder does finally decide to retire. Uh, That has been uh, adamantly refuted. So that's not, so if you see that report or if you've seen that somewhere on the internet, it's not true according to the sources at Kansas State. But, you know, if it's on the Internet, uh, that must be right. So, you know, Nick Saban wasn't going to Alabama, and then look where he ended up at Alabama. So um, take it with a grain of salt, but uh, that's kind of the drama going on there. Um, Tennessee, I feel – I I almost feel bad for volunteer fans because um, it doesn't matter who they hire. If If the guy's name is not John Gruden, they're going to be extremely disappointed. They are going hard after. They're going hard after Gruden. Uh, they've got former players, guys that played in the NFL, uh, all tweeting at him, talking to him, uh, trying to recruit him to come. Uh, there is some interest there, uh, but I think ultimately John Gruden ends up at uh, back in Tampa Bay with Buccaneers. I don't think he's going to go into the college ranks. I think if he gets back into coaching, which I think he will because uh, reportedly he's uh, ESPN is trying to convince him to take a pay cut for Monday Night Football. He's going to say no dice and get back into coaching. So just a matter of where. So um, anyway, uh, it's going to be a huge disappointment when they don't get him. But apparently I think they're going to, they're set to offer him $10 million a year. So it'll be interesting. Would $10 million a year make him the highest paid coach in the country? Or does Saban no, still make more than that? Saban, I think Saban just got a $2 million raise. I think he's up to thirteen. Good grief. Um, of course, uh, some stuff coming, piggybacking off what Josh said in his first slant. Um, there's some, uh, you know, with Jeff Long being a huge supporter of Brett Bielema, obviously in the way the season's going. I don't think Brett Bielema's coming back. I think that's pretty safe to say I I, I can uh, I can 
rest assured that it'd probably be somebody different. So uh, some of the candidates they're talking about, uh, I think they're going to make a huge push to try to get and lure Gus Malzahn back uh, for the right amount of money. So they're going to throw a lot of money there. So I'm guessing Arkansas fans are rooting for Alabama in two weeks. Uh, so uh, hoping that Auburn doesn't make a run to the playoff. So they'll have a better shot at Gus Malzahn. If that doesn't work out, uh, they're going to offer some money to Gary Patterson. I don't know why people keep going after Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson is not going anywhere. They're going to they're going to name it Gary Patterson University uh, in a couple of years. That guy is that guy's a legend at TCU. He's royalty there. There he's not going anywhere. Uh, they're also uh, also also Tommy Tuberville has some legitimate interest, and that would be a terrible hire. I would laugh. Hysterically. Didn't he just flame out at Cincinnati? Yeah, I would laugh hysterically. Of course, he's got and that Texas Tech. He's overdue at his last two jobs. Of course, he has extreme interest. Yeah, because he's he's unemployed and probably the worst color commentator on ESPN. Yes, you no, have to he, have personality to be to be a uh, color commentator, and he offers none of that. Um, I will say this for him. I would rather have him than Chris Berman do anything. The Swami says. Well, at least he has personality, albeit it's obnoxious and cheesy. At least, at least he has something. Tuberville has nothing. Here's here's Tuberville. All right, here's Tuberville. Well, uh, Mike, I think I think that's a, that's a very smart play by the. Well, the quarterback there, I think he might have the right read, and it uh, looks very good. And I haven't muted my TV yet. <laughs> yet, for Thanks, Berman, yet for Chris Berman, he shows up, and well, the goal uh, the goal is not the goal is not to fumble uh, the football there. And you know, usually, when I see Chris Berman on my TV, I call my cable provider and cancel my subscription. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to worry about that anymore because he is retired. Yeah, he's so the mascot of universe, uh, of uh, UMass these days. But don't be surprised if Jay Norvell ends up after ends up there after all the dust settles. Uh, you mean Mike Norvell? Jay Norvell. Jay Norvell is not doing so hot out at Nevada. Mike Norvell is doing very good work uh, at Memphis. Ron Norvell, yeah, Mike Norvell. <laughs> don't be surprised. I do that all the time. Uh, don't be surprised if. Mike Norvell uh, ends up at Arkansas when all the dust settles. Uh, you know, he'll end up, I think, at Arkansas or Mississippi State. Mullen is going to either Tennessee or Florida. Scott Frost is either going to Florida or Nebraska. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Norvell ends up at Arkansas, which would be a phenomenal hire for them. Uh, I don't know if he can. I don't know if he can get past Tommy Tuberville. That's going to be a tough, tough deal. But uh, it'd be a phenomenal hire if they got Mike Norvell. I, I could actually root for him because I, I have no, I have no issues with Arkansas whatsoever. Um, I have nothing against them. No you have issues with Memphis. No, not at all. Okay. Uh, not at all. I think I, I I enjoy watching Memphis because of Mike Norvell. Um, I you know I just think he I just think he's ready for it. I don't want to say an upgrade because I don't want to degrade Memphis's program like that, but I'd like to see him get up into the SEC and see what he could do and uh, and make things interesting over there in the West. It hadn't been interesting over there since uh, Houston Nutt was at, at Arkansas. 
Yeah, it, it, it's been a it's been a minute for Arkansas. I, I think since Darren McFadden graduated, it's kind of been downhill for them. But and, and last but certainly, hey, uh, if the NFL kicks out Jerry Jones, he can return to his alma mater and coach it. He's already so he's wanted to coach the Cowboys. And if you're wondering, Alma University uh, in Michigan is uh, has an opening as head coach. Uh, Greg Pascanda will not return. He led their program in sixth season and compiled a twenty and forty record, including a seven and three mark last year. Um, right now, uh, Mike Merlo is the interim head coach. So, any of you Alma University people out there, there's some news there. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to get through my second slant quickly. Um, I just wanted to highlight two intriguing games in Conference USA. I'm going to start in San Antonio, where UTSA is hosting Marshall in a contest between two very evenly matched teams. Statistically speaking, the Roadrunners are probably the better team, but they have been slipping of late, having lost their past two games to UAB and FIU. They've got a new AD, by the way. Yeah, well, Marshall, uh, the Thundering Herd, should be ready to go after they did a nice job holding off Western Kentucky last week at home, 30-23. to One player to watch out for in this game is UTSA quarterback Dalton Sturm. Uh, not Strom, not, not, not Strom Thurman, Dalton Sturm. Um, uh, his numbers won't overwhelm you. He's only got 1,830 passing yards and 500 rushing yards, but he's very efficient, does not turn the ball over, better than 5-1 to one touchdown-interception ratio. UTSA needs to win this one to become bowl eligible because they're at Louisiana Tech next week and we all know that strange things can happen at night in Ruston um, the other great matchup in Conference USA this weekend pits uh, the two South Florida schools against each other when uh, Josh's recent uh, award winner for best first year coach Butch Davis leads FIU into Boca Raton to take on the fighting Kiffins of Florida Atlantic both of these coaches have had very impressive debut seasons, as Josh noted, at their respective schools, and they are currently one and two in the East Division of Conference USA. The Owls are in the driver's seat right now. After losing their first three games against FBS opponents, they've won six in a row and are undefeated in conference. Uh, the name to know in this one uh, is FAU sophomore running back Devin Singletary, De- Devil- Devin Singletary, who is quietly the fifth leading rusher in the country in terms of yards and leads the nation in rushing touchdowns with 22. Uh, the running back has been turning heads and is front runner for conference offensive player of the year. I think FAU should be able to hold off FIU in this one, but I'm not sure that they're going to cover the 14 points that Vegas has the spread at. I will take FAU to win this one at home and close to an expected game, 37 to 31. So, and with that, it is time for a little pop quiz. So gentlemen, um, there are in the history of college football, eight coaches who have won 250 games all time, 250 games. Can you name them? Josh, I will begin with you. Well, he did almost all of them wearing a hound's tooth hat. Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant. He is number four. He won 323. Nice. Vince Dooley. Uh, Vince Dooley. Sorry, he didn't. Uh, Vince Dooley does not make the top. Oh, uh, he is 25th. He's, he won 201 games, so no. Damn. He coached for 201 years. <laughs> he was at, he was at, he, did, he spent 25 seasons at Georgia. <laughs> he won 350 games. Uh, or 250 games. Damn. 0 for 1. Josh? Not without some controversy, but 
Joseph Paterno. Number one, 409 wins. All right, I'm going to get on the board with Bobby Bowden. Number two, 377. Uh, you're just doing, like, major college football, right? Correct, FBS okay. college football. Okay, because I know when Joe Paterno uh, passed Eddie Robinson, it was, it was big stuff. Yeah, sorry, I, I should have clarified. Uh, F- yeah. FBS only. Okay. Uh, well, the uh, uh, Big Ten Coach of the Year trophy is named after Alonzo Stagg. Amos Alonzo Stagg coached for 57 seasons and racked up 314 wins. Nice. I'm going to go with uh, the legend of the breadbasket of America, Tom Osborne. Tom Osborne is correct. He is the nice. he is the eighth uh, coach who did it. 255 wins. Nice. Nice. Oh, boy. We have one, two, there are three coaches left. There are three coaches left. So a couple names pop into my mind. I got one name that's popped in my mind. But I'm going to go with who coached during an era in which there were more games per season. So with that in mind, I'm going to go with Frank Beamer. Frank Beamer's correct, 280 career victories. Yeah, because the coach I was thinking of coached more in the 70s and 80s than Beamer, who got to have, like, the 12-game seasons. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This this one's probably wrong, but I figured if they named the stadium after him, he was the 1957 national championship coach, guy by the name of Suge Jordan. Suge Jordan. Uh, sorry, he does not crack the top 25. Well, damn. Mm. 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 Oh, boy. Two left. Uh, do you want any hints? No. Okay. No. I'm going to go with the uh, Mr. Right Hook, or was it Mr. Left Hook? I can't remember which one, but I'm going to go with Woody. Woody, Woody, great guess. 238 career victories. Came up 12 short. Oh, well, that helps then because I know that he had more wins than Bo Schembechler. So I don't have to worry about making that as a guess. Yeah, that would be bad. Um, Let's see. I can tell you it's not Derek Dooley. (laughs) Nope. It is no one with the last name of Dooley. I will give you that as a hint. It's it's not Ray Goof. (laughs) <laughs> not Ray Goof at Ray all. Goof. It's, it's not, I can tell you it's not Butch Jones either. <laughs> Has Butch Jones even coached 250 games in his career? Look. I think so. Uh, combine that with Cincinnati, I think. Still no. <laughs> all right, Coach, uh, I'm going to need an would, answer. Would, uh, would Nick Saban be one of those? No, Nick Saban. Has uh, he coached enough games? Nick Saban has won 215 games in his career. He's 215, 61, and 1. Okay. I, I, yeah. He's, Good guess, but uh, he barely has enough to even qualify, probably. So I'm going to go with the coach that I mixed for Frank Beamer because I said I thought he might have coached too much in the 70s and 80s. But I'm going to go with Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz came up one game short. 
He won 249 <laughs> games. But you know, I didn't want to win more games than Jesus, so I shopped at 249. So, that 0 yeah. 11 season at South Carolina did him in. He yep. could have gone 1 in 10. Yep. Oh. yep. So, Ooh, way too much Mary. Give me, give me one more shot. Give me a hint. Um, uh, one of uh, one of the coaches uh, coached for forty nine years. Uh, forty nine years. At he, his career began in the eighteen nineties. Um, he is one of the most famous names in 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 coaching history. The other coach for twenty nine seasons at one school and one school only, and won one national title in the eighties. I'm gonna say John Heisman. Because he coached just about everywhere in the southeast. Nope. Uh he does not crack the top twenty five. I think the I think the eighties thing with one school, uh that has me leaning Brigham Young named the stadium after him. Is that Lavelle? That is correct. Two hundred fifty seven career yes. wins. We have one left. He won three. In the eighteen nineties, and it was not John Heisman. That was a great. His career began in the eighteen nineties, but he made a name for himself. I would say in the aughts and the teens, but he coached all the way up through thirty eight, thirty nine. Is it Zoo? Oh, it's your turn, Coach. Sorry. He is third in history with three hundred thirty six career wins. Give me one school he coached at. Uh, Georgia. Oh, well, there, there goes my guesses. Well, Georgia, he coached at seven different schools. He coached at Georgia for two seasons. Pop Warner. That is correct. Nice. Yeah, my guess is, uh, before you said the Georgia thing, I was going to guess either uh, Danax Bible, who won a lot at Nebraska, uh, Zumke, who won a bunch at Illinois, or Fielding Yost at Michigan. But the Georgia thing threw me off. I never would have gotten that. Um, Pop Warner, third in history, 336 career wins. Um, if I'd said Carlisle, that would have made it too easy. So that's why I went with Georgia. But um, great work, guys. Um, you got all eight of them. So um, nice. it is time for us to move on. Oh, the other, uh, the other almost theirs, uh, Mac Brown, 244 career victories. Um, then Woody Hayes. I, I just, I just need to, needed to coach, go coach one more season. <laughs> I just need to find me a powerhouse. Uh, who's going to be the next to join? Who's going to be the next to join that list? Are there any active coaches anywhere? Um, that are in close. either FBS or FCS. Um, in FBS or FCS. I mean, Nick Saban's the closest. Snyder. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Brian Kelly is the closest. If you combine FBS and FCS and the two wins, everything. Brian Kelly's at two thirty eight. Brian Kelly's at 230. Where's Bill Snyder at? He's got to be somewhere. Bill Snyder is at 207. Damn, he's been coaching for 200 years. Only 26, actually, as a head coach. He, his first year, Kansas State, was 89-90, and then he had his five-year hiatus. So um, mm-hmm. another uh, another one who actually just retired, Dennis Francione, 213 for his career. Huh. <laughs> and he probably needed about 600 games coach to get there. Two away from Nick Saban. The um, uh, the worst winning record, the, the worst sorry, the worst winning percentage of all of the coaches in the top twenty five career wins, which is basically two hundred and over, um, is Jess Neely, who coached at Clemson, Rhodes, and Rice from thirty one to sixty seven. He was two hundred seven, one seventy six, and nineteen for a five thirty nine career winning percentage. Do you say Vandy? No. 
there, Jess Neely is, is is related to Vandy somehow because he's a road named after him. Uh, well, he he might have played there, but uh, he coached at Clemson, Rhodes, and Rice. Oh. Hey, after the pop quiz, I googled it and I saw the Wikipedia page. Matt, you skipped over a near active guy, uh, uh, Jimmy Jimmy Laycock at William and Mary. Oh yeah, he's been there since 1980. It's up to 245 wins, tons of conference titles, probably a Hall of Famer. Based on all these, he's got a ton of conference titles. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, if I if I if I if I, if I go all divisions, um, uh, uh, Rob Ash. That's Ashton, still D one. That's William and Mary still D one. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, um, active only. Um, yeah, now I'm playing around. I've been, uh, the NCAA, uh, website just updated their statistics. Um, and it's so much more intuitive and it works so much better now. So, um, but yeah, Jimmy Laycock and, um, the only, you guys won't get any of these three, but the three, uh, current, uh, head coaches at all divisions who have won 250 career games, Monty Cater of, at Lakeland and Shepard. Um, has 274 wins. Denny Dowds has been at, at East Stroudsburg University for 40, <laughs> for 44 seasons, Oof. racking up a career, uh, 263, 196, and three. How much uh, do the coaches at that level get paid? Do you think? Uh, I mean, you're also at that point. You're also faculty and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I know a guy. He was at. Uh, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the Mexico. Too. So. Yeah, he, um, yeah, I knew a guy. He was he lives in uh, he lives in Las Vegas, New Mexico, and uh, he's at the Highlands University uh, in New Mexico, which is located in Las Vegas, New Mexico. And he, uh, I think he makes like forty five, and he's a he's like a assistant director of student relation or student recruiting. And so he's like kind of like a, a he's in like admissions. He works in the admissions office when he's not coaching. Yeah. yeah. Um. The the, the third guy though, um, who actually d- does really deserves a shout out, um, Al Bagnoli, uh, who is currently uh, leading Columbia. Um. He you know this is his uh, third season at the helm of Columbia, but he uh, spent the first ten years of his career at Union College and then was at Penn for about twenty two years. Um, before heading over to Columbia. He's amassed 251 wins in his career. So um, hmm. with that, it is time for us to head to our deep roots. And we will start with the one rank versus rank game that we have this week. It is the game day game of the week. Um, Josh at our alma mater. Um, yeah. Madison, Wisconsin is the host for ESPN's college game day. Uh, I wish I was there, but alas, uh, I will be celebrating this weekend in the Music City. And uh, the Badgers are hosting the number 24 Michigan Wolverines, who at 8-2 and two are having a little bit of a disappointing season, but still have one of the country's strongest defenses um, behind coordinator Don Brown. So, Josh, uh, it does not look like it's going to be a pretty day at Camp Randolph. They're calling for temperatures in the 30s with uh, a wintry mix of precipitation. So, yeah, actually, that weather is one of the reasons why I chose not to make the trip up. The other reason I chose not to make the trip up, uh, why the hell is this an 11 o'clock a.m. game? Because uh, do they play night games in Camp Randall in November? Uh, play a 2.30 game. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't don't get me wrong. I agree with you 100%. But yeah, what are you doing, Fox? What are you doing? Don't get it. Uh, no, just like last week with Iowa as a Wisconsin person, I know I'm more Iowa than Wisconsin, but I still have plenty of ties. But this game makes me super nervous. Michigan's playing way better. Their last three games, they've scored in the 30s while that defense has given up a total of 34 points since that Penn State game debacle. Um, Rutgers, Minnesota, and at Maryland isn't exactly a murderer's row, but they're going to be confident headed into it. And Michigan has to feel like they struck out losing to Michigan State and Penn State. They've won their two biggest games. And if they lose this one, they don't probably love their chances in the big one against Ohio State. I don't think they want to lose out. So I think they're going to be playing with a lot of fire. That defense is scary. We saw it again even in what ended up becoming a blowout. But sloppy with the ball, four turnovers against Iowa for the Badgers. Uh, They turn the ball over more than pretty much any of these playoff contenders. And that's got to be a little scary, especially if if, uh, Michigan's offense, they won't replicate – scoring 30 points like they have in the last three games. But if they can play really good defense, which we know they're capable of, and if Michigan can crack Wisconsin a little bit and get 21, 28 points, it's going to be tough. We'll see. It it makes me nervous. How about you, Matt? Um, I am – so if last week uh, I was – extraordinarily nervous for Iowa. I am probably um, one degree less nervous. I am about Michigan because Michigan has not shown that they can have an explosive offense in the same way that Iowa showed two weeks ago against Ohio state. Um, That being said, I think that Michigan's defense, especially their run defense is, you know, Outstanding. You know, they only give up 110 yards per game on the ground and 255 total. Um, I am worried that Alex Hornerbrook is going to throw two more back-breaking pick sixes. Uh, that being said, I, I, I believe that Wisconsin has the best defense in the Big Ten. And I don't – I'm not that worried about Brandon Peters – uh, Karan Higdon for them is nicked up. It looks like he's going to play, but definitely don't think he's 100% for them. The, the passing attack does not scare me, and Wisconsin's run defense is outstanding. They are top five in the country, allowing 81 and a half yards per game on the ground. So, um, you know, Michigan is already a relatively one-dimensional team on offense, uh, and Wisconsin should be able to shut that down. That being said, uh, I'm worried that Alex Hornerbrack Alex Hornerbrook is going to be the best quarterback for the opponent for the second week in a row. And if, if that happens, you know, we, we're going to have a really tight game. I believe that Wisconsin is going to win this game. I believe that they are going uh, to win this game in cover. Uh, they're seven and a half point favorites at home. I think they're going to win by 10. I foresee something like a 27, 17, 24, 14 sort of game. So, um, if, uh, uh, you know, and one of the things about Michigan's uh, rush defense is that they're good at, you know, stopping you short, but um, they don't give up a lot of the, you know, chunk carries that, uh, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12, 15 kind of yard carries, but they are prone to giving up 
you know, you know, you'll bludgeon them for two, three yards of pop, and then you'll spring one for, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50. And Jonathan Taylor has routinely shown that he can do that. He has elite speed in the college game. And if he can break two big runs against Michigan, I think that could be the difference in this game. Uh, Coach, have you got anything to add on this one? Yeah, I mean, you know, Wisconsin, what they what they do phenomenally is they, they have a great running game with Jonathan Taylor touchdown and or Jonathan Taylor tailback and they have a great defense that can uh that can really just pound you into submission and, and, and that's that's how I think that's what I think they're gonna do. They're gonna be an extremely or they gotta be an extremely patient team this week, uh, because Harbaugh will get impatient as a coach. They'll Michigan will do something stupid like they do every week when they get impatient and they get behind in some of these games or they get in trouble in some of these games. As long as you don't allow Michigan to get Michigan to get any sort of momentum, then they will fold and do something stupid, and then then the then the rails will fall off, or then the wheels will fall off for Michigan. Uh, what Florida did not take advantage of early in the season is. Uh, they did not take advantage of the momentum that they could have gained off of those two pick sixes they had um, off of Michigan, and uh, Michigan was able to rally and win that game because they were able to have control of that game. Wisconsin needs to control the tempo, control the ball, control the field position, and and they'll they'll play Michigan right on out of the stadium. It's great that it's at home at Camp Randall. That'll be a huge advantage for Wisconsin. I look for Jonathan Taylor to have a huge day. Yeah, and I think that the it, – it's strange to think that Wisconsin actually has the quarterback uh, matchup in their favor in this one, but Brandon Peters, you know, in his – he's had five starts this year, but he's only thrown for 329 yards. It's not like he's really lightened – it's not like he's really lightened it up. So, um, you know, cornerback just – cornerback's really just going to have to limit his mistakes. That is – what it boils down to. He's had a couple, you know, potentially backbreaking picks the last few weeks. And if, you know, if he has uh, another two of those, you know, one or two of those, that could really be a problem. But also, fortunately for Wisconsin, uh, one of Michigan's top cornerbacks, Lavert Hill, uh, you know, had a concussion last week against Maryland and uh, is probably going to miss this game as well. So, um, you know, obviously hope he gets better, but I uh, hope he gets better after the Wisconsin game as a uh, biased Badger. So we need to move on to uh, the other school uh, from which I have a degree. Uh, that is UCLA, and they are uh, taking on USC in the Battle of Los Angeles uh, this week at uh, the Coliseum. Um, obviously, two teams that have gone in – two teams that have actually weirdly both had disappointing seasons, just in very different ways. USC came into the season with all the hype in the world, uh, you know, top three team after Sam Darnold lit up the uh, Rose Bowl last year. Um, you know, Darnold has, you know, had uh, – has struggled a, a little bit this year, and especially in terms of uh, turnovers. He's thrown 11 picks so far in uh, – the Trojans 11 games, uh, but still the last few games, he's looked better and better. But I think that the big thing that's going to happen in this game is uh, Ronald Jones, the outstanding running back for USC uh, goes up against a UCLA rush defense. That is number 130 in the country in rush yards allowed. They're allowing 302.3 yards per game on the ground. Josh, uh, how many yards will Jones have in this one? Uh, boatload? <laughs> uh, 
I mean, the, the thing that's remarkable to me is in addition to how Jim Morris still has his job and how his seat isn't talked about more, but he started out 3-0 and against USC. But, like, that was the window for UCLA to win that town and become something special, and they just totally plateaued, and now they've regressed. The last two years, these have been classic Lucy pulling the ball out. These, these games have returned to what we expect in the Battle of Los Angeles. 41-21 in 2015, 36-14 a year ago. It's going to be more of the same. It's going to be a blowout. And frankly, if Mora is back next year, the UCLA athletic department needs to be totally blown up. they got to get that Guerrero guy out as an athletic director. This thing's a joke. I mean – 10 and 3 in 2014, and since then, he's like 17 and 30. Like, it's been bad. And I don't know why it doesn't get talked about more, but I mean, Matt, you watch this team way more than we do. This UCLA team's a joke. I mean, I, I, the biggest issue that UCLA has had for. For for years now is that they have not been they've not been deep at all on defense and that it really comes to fruition in conference play. Uh, you know I, I think that they've done a good job recruiting in terms of offensive skill positions a lot. You've seen a lot of their um, you've seen a lot of you know UCLA have some big names. Obviously Josh Rosen um, uh, has been outstanding for them. He had a rough sophomore season, but he's come back with a vengeance this year. Um, but, you know, you, you think about, you know, the running backs that they have there, Soso Jamabo, uh, you know, Paul Perkins a little while ago. And now uh, this year they have junior Bolu Olorunfumi. Um, I'm doing my best to say that, but I can never get it quite right. Um, you know, He's been moving the ball pretty well, but their gosh, their defense, man. I just I don't know what needs to happen in Los Angeles in in you know in Westwood. Hey, do I hear something that should piss you off? What's that? How bad a coach was Carl Durrell? Um uh I know he has a better record than Jim Mora. Uh he doesn't. Oh I'm he, sorry, that was he um he doesn't league play. But Carl Durrell was thirty five and twenty seven. 24 and 18 in league play. So overall, Carl Durrell has a 565 winning percentage. Jim Mora is at a 613. So he's barely better than that. And in conference, Jim Mora is 28 and 25. Carl Durrell was 24 and 18. So you yeah. ran Durrell out of town for not winning enough. And you're overpaying Jim Mora purely because he's got an NFL brand name. And the last two years, they are 9 and 13. Get him out. Especially, you know, when you have a quarterback talent like Josh Rosen. I mean, they have no offensive line either, which is so strange. You know, if they had any semblance of an offensive line and any semblance of a defense, I mean, this team could contend for uh, the Pac-12 South year in and year out. There is no reason that they should be this much worse than USC, but they are. It's competence from the top down. Uh, yeah, it's and uh, I mean, and that that's now reflected in their basketball program as well. Don't don't even get me started. Um, How is there is there as well, coach? You you know you used to have to deal with him for a while at your alma mater. <laughs> Not my alma mater. Just I'm, my, sorry, I'm sorry. The, the, my childhood team. The, the team of your youth. Yeah. So, 
Um, Coach, you got anything to add here on this one? We, I, I got kind of lost in this conversation. Are we still on? UCLA? We're still on UCLA USC. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there anything that UCLA can do to? to You're bagging to, on Jim Mora. That could be fun. Yeah. It, but your stress out and insult Jim Mora. Yeah, that's that's true. When when things are going wrong, just think, I'm so glad I'm not Jim Mora. Uh, and, and Jim Moore actually, uh, he was uh, the head coach of of uh, my favorite Your Falcons. The Falcons. He was. Uh, he had control of, or tried to have control of Mike Vick. The only person that truly had control of Mike Vick was, I think, the one or two years that Dan Reeves was the head coach. So. Uh, and probably the time he was in prison, they probably had some control over him. Then. Yeah, I think I think they had a little bit of control over him, but. Uh, to be honest, no. I, I think, uh, you know, as talented as Josh Rosen is, I, I, I don't think he has enough help around him. That defense is atrocious. I think Sam Darnold's going to have a good game. Or I think he's had a huge game, I should say. And uh, See, Coach, I really don't. I, th- I don't think they'll have to throw the ball. I, they're just going to run the ball all freaking day. It, it, it's it's I think Ronald they'll get Jones. bored and throw the ball. They, they can, I mean, they can, pick their, they can pick their poison. They can score however, however they want to. But uh, I mean, it would not surprise me in the least if Ronald Jones and Stephen Carr each, you know, you know, combined for 350 yards on the ground. Yeah, I think I think Darnold will throw. I think he'll throw a lot early because um, because UCLA will be fired up for this game and they'll have you know they'll play well at the beginning and Darnold will have to they'll, he'll have to crush their dreams and Ronald Jones and Stephen Carr will then rush for. 150 each mm-hmm. in the in the last three quarters, and it, it'll be a huge stat game for USC all around. So, all right, well, let's head over to the Big 12, where uh, I think the best matchup of the weekend is in Lubbock in West Texas. Uh, TCU coming off uh, sort of a, a disheartening loss to Oklahoma last week is going to have to gear up uh, again for an 11 a.m. start um, out. In, in West Texas against the Red Raiders, uh, you know, TCU struggled to uh, hold a, an air raid attack in Oklahoma in check last week. Uh, Jock will be different this week against Nick Shimanek and the Red Raiders. No, because it's uh, this is not a case of the X's and O's. This is... Case of the, the Jimmy Joes, <laughs> and also and also a really bad coach uh, for Texas Tech. Uh, they've been free falling. They're one and four in the last five games, and that one win came over Baylor. Uh, Texas Tech's just not a particularly good team, and TCU still has a tiebreaker over Okie State to finish second in the conference, which means that they inexplicably get to play in a conference title game. It's confusing. It's stupid. It's well, none of it ever makes sense. It's a hot mess, like always. But TCU still has way more to play for. Uh, I expect them to just run through Texas Tech with no problems. Coach, I, I agree with uh, I agree with Josh. Texas Tech is they're struggling mightily, and you know this is a game that TCU can use to get back on track. I think uh, Kenny Hill will get back on track against. A defense that's really just kind of a slump buster for for the conference, and uh, you know I think they get back on track defensively. They're they're good enough to shut down anybody. Uh, they can be. Uh, they're not always good enough to shut down 
anybody, but they, they have they have the talent to be good enough to shut down anybody, anytime, anywhere. But um, so I, and I think they do that against the Red Raiders. I don't think the Red Raiders have enough ammo in the in their guns. All right. Well, let's head over to the ACC for our final two games. We will start um, with a 7.30 Eastern kick um, in uh, in Winston-Salem. Uh, when NC State travels to Wake Forest, uh, Josh, you were on our recap show earlier this week. You were lauding Wake Forest for their big victory last week in uh, the Carrier Dome up in Syracuse. Uh, can they carry that momentum against uh, a team – uh, quarterbacked by one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country, Ryan Finley. Uh, I think they can. I mean, they've played some really good offensive football. The, the problem is, uh, and what made it making the Bulls so remarkable is they were hit by the injury bug in the middle of their season, and it, it kind of derailed things a little bit. Uh, but they managed to beat Syracuse, lock down that bowl game. Uh, but the thing about NC State that I don't think people realize is just how tough their schedule's been. Their opponent's overall record is 60-39, and 39, and they're hanging their own in these games. Uh, NC State, they also talked about, uh, Coach Dave Doran was talking about how this team wants to go 7-1. and one. It won't get them to the title game because Clemson has Citadel and at South Carolina left. So Clemson's already won the division, but NC State has never gone 7-1 and one in conference. And they seem to have bought in this year. They punched way above their weight class based on how tough this schedule is. And they were seven. They came up seven points short against Clemson. This is a hell of a team. I know it's on the road. I know Wake is making a bowl game, but uh, NC State just – feels way, way closer to being a top-10 team than we're giving them credit for. They, they've had a remarkable season. Uh, so Wake's not going to be able to do it, but uh, hats off to Wake for making that bowl game, like I said. But, man, this pack team's good. Uh, coach? Wow. Um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, – I'm, I'm in agreement with Josh again. I mean – Josh, you're doing such a good job of describing these games. You're making my job pretty, pretty, pretty easy. Uh, you know, Ryan Finley, of course, huge playmaker for NC State. He's looking to be uh, a big part of this game. Um, Wake Forest is a tough out. I will give them credit there. Um, they, they, they are not, they're not easy to deal with. They, they're very opportunistic. They take advantage of their opportunities. They play good, fast, clean, physical football. Uh, their offense is on fire right now. They're doing a lot of good things up there in Winston-Salem. However, I, again, like you know, like I said about Texas Tech, they could they could throw all the haymakers they want, but it would be like me getting in the ring with Mike Tyson. I feel like against this group, you know, probably not that probably not that drastic, but uh, you see my point. You know, I, I think NC State's going to take their best shot roll with it, and I think they're going to end up uh, – it won't be a blowout like years past, but it will be It will be one of those late uh, – it will look a lot worse than it actually is um, after it's all said and done. So I um, love Wake Forest, love what they're doing. I just don't think they have enough in the tank. 
All right. Well, let's finish up with um, another game in the ACC when Miami coming off of their huge dominant victory over Notre Dame last week. Um, uh, and, you know, are pro- uh, you know, hopefully should not be uh, looking ahead uh, to the ACC title game in a couple of weeks. But Josh, are they in a letdown spot here against uh, Virginia? No, I think Virginia, you know, they got that win over Georgia Tech uh, to get their bowl game locked down, and then we saw them kind of fall back to earth, losing pretty handily at Louisville. Uh, They've played quite poorly on the road in conference play, got blown out at Pittsburgh, got blown out at Louisville. Really the, the one road conference game they have is a narrow one, over that struggling two and eight Tar Heel team. Uh, this is another one where it, it's just different weight classes. And I don't want to take anything away from Virginia getting to a bowl game in Bronco Mendenhall's second season, I believe. Yeah, they are um, way ahead of schedule day. there in Charlottesville. Yeah, they're, they're way ahead of schedule. I think a more interesting thing would be how well they play in a week in that in state rivalry game with Virginia Tech. They have not won that rivalry in quite a while. Virginia Tech getting eliminated seemed kind of flat the last few weeks. Their quarterback hit a wall. I'm more curious about the Cavaliers in a week because Miami's playing for so much. They went out there in the playoffs. And that's that's just a way better team than Virginia with a whole hell of a lot to play for. Yeah, Coach, you got anything to add on this one? Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I want to add actually kind of goes back to last week. Um, I read about, uh, and I meant to say, well, I wish I would have known about this when we recorded our recap show, um, but uh, Mike Elko, defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, was saying to his team during pregame that they can have the chain. We're getting a effing ring. And yeah, he I, I heard that. that uh, and... I, I... Yeah, saw how that turned out. They're not going to get a ring, or at least they're not going to get the ring that they want. They might get a uh, belt bowl ring or something. I don't know, whatever they want. Um, <laughs> pinstripe but, bowl. Uh, pinstripe bowl. Yeah, the pinstripe. Yeah, that's right. The pinstripe bowl. Uh, that's that's going to be like Notre Dame's official bowl if they don't make the playoff. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Mark Rick. I, I've seen. Uh, numerous times in the past where teams that shouldn't hang with them can hang with them, especially after huge wins like they had last week. Um, this happened, I remember in 2004, um, I was actually still working for him. Um, and I don't know how there was a letdown on Saturday because they had a phenomenal week of practice, but they had just coming, they had just come off a throttling, I think it was 45-14 over the defending national champion, LSU Tigers, and uh, Tennessee rolls into town, uh, a very much inferior Tennessee team rolls into town and beats them, I think, 19-14, to 14, some ugly, sloppy defensive pillow fight. And so I hope that this doesn't happen uh, with this Miami team. They seem to be fired up about the turnover chain, and I think Manny Diaz does a good job of keeping those guys level-headed and and hungry for, uh, for more. And I think, you know, as stupid as some of these gimmicks are, uh, 
and as stupid as that might seem, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun when you have some sort of prop like that. I love the championship belt. Love the turnover chain. I love the spiked savage golden shoulder pads. Uh, I even like the pimp king at A and M. I think the pimp king is fantastic. How about the garbage can? The garbage can. I think they retired the garbage can. I think that's what they threw Butch Jones out in. <laughs> yeah, they they rolled him down the they rolled him down the hill. Knoxville is very hilly. UT is very hilly. So they took him at the top of campus and they just stuffed him in the trash and rolled him down to the bottom of campus. So, uh, I, you know, they have a lot to play for and they have a lot to prove still. And, you know, I, I think if this Miami team is for real, they will throttle Virginia. Um, but, uh, you know, there could be, a, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to be in any danger of losing this game. I think they're way too talented to lose this game. It might be interesting at the beginning uh, because it's an 11 a.m. kick, but or it's a, it's a 12 noon kick in Miami. So, um, but it'll be one of those where it might take them a half half the first quarter to wake up, and then they'll 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 put it on Virginia, and it, it'll it'll be a, a cruise. All right. Well, I mean, it's it, it's a shame because I mean, there's I, I think the entire SEC basically has a bye week against uh, the FCS this weekend. So yeah, yeah. Georgia Georgia takes on Kentucky, who is surprisingly. The second best team in the, I think, is the second best team in the SEC East. Uh, I, I still think I'd put South Carolina ahead of them. That's true. Uh, the only other conference game that's, well, there's. Well, we're, we're going to talk about Texas A&M, uh, Ole Miss here in just a second. So uh, yeah, unless there's I anything mean, else, I think we might as well get to our spread formations. What well, the beginning of the oh, season, LSU no. Tennessee was was a yeah. good game, but I think Darius Geis is going to have 200 yards plus. In the first uh, half, yeah, and the yeah. Missouri Vanderbilt, Missouri is really turned it on. They've mm-hmm. they've hit a new gear and they're starting to they're starting to find a groove, which is scary. I think I think Georgia kind of woke them up and they kind of realized that hey, we can we can play a little bit. We can we can do some things a little bit. So we'll play a little bit. Yeah, uh, well, that that about covers the SEC. Yeah. Um, oh wait! Oh wait! We forgot one thing. We're burying the lead, get you guys. What's that? The upset special. We, we suck at this. Are you ready for it, gentlemen? What is it, Josh? Okay, so hear me out. The 93rd best rush defense in the country. They're holding opponents under 200 rushing yards, you guys. Oh, my God. Yeah. What are you talking about? Arkansas. Arkansas, yeah. And oh, they got a team. They can barely run it. I mean, Mississippi State's barely 15. Top 15 rushing. I mean, like 250.6 yards per game. I mean, that's behind the Ohio Bobcats. Give me a break. Like, what is what is Mississippi State going to do in Fayetteville against this Arkansas team? I just don't see it, gentlemen. Yeah. I mean, uh, God, I mean, I, obviously, I think I think Nick Fitzgerald is ter- is uh, terrified of pigs. I think he's actually gone kosher. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing, honestly, is is Brett Bielema's terrible boss got fired. He can now let the chains off, let this team do what they want. We're going to see a more relaxed Arkansas team this week. Yeah, man. I mean, and I mean, I mean, obviously, and what I heard though, they're, they're still paying Jeff Long, you know, his entire contract. So, but like I said before, they're saving money. The, the head coach and the mascot, just same person, works out yeah. perfectly for him. So, yeah. all right. Always, well, always, always got to save money. Yeah, you know, important. 
especially when they're trying to go after uh, Mr. Malzahn. Well, time for us to get to some spread formations. Uh, Coach still leading us on the season at 30-24-1. Josh, you and I are a little a little back from that. Josh, you're 25-29-1. I'm 24-30-1. On How am I doing in Big Ten games? <laughs> I, I, I don't have them uh, – I don't have them separated out conference by conference. Sorry, guys. (laughs) We're going to start, though. Um, Navy at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, 18-point favorites at home for a 3.30 Eastern kickoff. Um, So, Josh, uh, can the Golden Domers regroup after getting throttled by Miami last week? I mean, they can regroup. Here's the thing, though. 18 points is... Quite a bit. Um, Navy won this game last year uh, to find a game that went to over 18 points because Navy has been really scrappy in this series. If you go all the way back to 2012 when the game was inexplicably played in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not quite sure why that was the case. So nothing says Ireland like the United States Naval Academy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... I think Notre Dame will win, but just based on the historical precedent, based on the playoff hopes being dashed, maybe not as much to play for, I think Navy hangs around and ultimately loses it by just 17, thereby covering. Coach? Ooh. Ooh, very, very intriguing. Um, I do think Navy covers just because they're a ball-control type offense. And, uh, And Notre Dame is reeling. I think Notre Dame wins by... 17 points. Yeah, I mean, in uh, in Navy's three losses this season, they've lost by three, 10, and eight. I, I don't see them getting beat by, by 18. They only gave up 31 points to UCF. I think UCF is a better offense than, um, the, than Notre Dame does. So, you know... Um, you know, Josh Adams has not looked like himself the last couple of weeks. So um, I am also taking um, the middies to cover here. Okay. Uh, next, we are headed to um, uh, uh, to Oxford, Mississippi, um, where, um, where Texas A&M um, is taking on Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss two and a half point favorites at home. Uh, coach, uh, sorry, I should say Josh, uh, who are you taking here? So the assumption is, oh, Ole Miss, they have an interim coach. They're terrible. Texas A&M got things going last week against New Mexico in that blowout. Here's the thing. Look at A&M's wins. Way back at the beginning of the year. uh, I should say, actually, the line since I emailed you guys has moved down from two and a half to two. Yeah, but – Here's the thing, though. Like I was saying, a ms wins are, like, way back earlier in the season against Arkansas, South Carolina, Florida. Their last few conference games have gotten worked. And Ole Miss, on the other hand, beat Kentucky on the road. Kentucky's a nice seven-win team. They demolished Vanderbilt. They could have, should have, would have beaten Arkansas in that 38-37 shootout, Ole Miss has played better as of late. I think this is going to be a nail-in-the-coffin type game for the Sumlin experience at Texas A&M. Ole Miss wins and covers because they win by at least a field goal. All right, Coach. 
Ooh, Josh. Very intriguing. I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one. I think A&M is far too talented to lose this game. I think uh, as many issues there are in College Station, I think there are just as many in Oxford right now. I think uh, they're just such a – both teams are just such a roller coaster right now, and you really honestly never know what you're going to get. So I'm going to default to the team that has recruited better. Um, And I think A&M has the slight edge there. They have the slight edge in this game. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take the Aggies on the road. All right. Um, Josh, I'm with you on this one. Um, I'm, I'm taking Ole Miss at home. I, I, I've got, I've got a feeling about it. I I like Ole Miss in this spot. I think that uh, Texas A&M is, you know, they are a little Jekyll and Heidi, and I feel like when you when you push back against them, like Ole Miss, I, I really think will in this game, I think they might start fall apart a little bit. So, uh, give me Ole Miss to win by. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Ole Miss wins by four points. So uh, our next game uh, in Durham, North Carolina, pits uh, Georgia Tech as six and a half point favorites on the road at the Dukies. Uh, Josh. Ramblin' Wreck or Blue or Blue Devils? So it's really weird. Georgia Tech is receiving votes in the poll. They are second in their division in the ACC. Yet they're five and four. They have not clinched their bowl game yet. And with having top ten Georgia next, they know that they got to hurry up and do it. And injuries and lack of depth, and with teams like Duke, the margin of error is like razor thin. If they just have a couple things go wrong, the losses start mounting. That's what's happened for Duke since their 4-0 start. They just don't have the soldiers right now to go week to week in the ACC. They're a really well-coached team. They'll be able to hang around for most of this game, but ultimately the Jackets know they have got to win this to make a bowl game. Georgia Tech gets it done. They cover thanks to a late field goal, giving them a 9-10 to 10 point win. All right, Coach? This is the type of game that, uh, speaking of another roller coaster team, Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech is one of those that seem to uh, – they're one of those roller coasters that shoot out at the beginning and get off to a great start and slow down at the end. Um, I think Georgia Tech's going to get off to such a good start in this game that it's not going to matter um, as much when they start to kind of falter at the end. Uh, I think Duke is really struggling, and they really – and seeing how they played Army, who threw only one pass – and beat them by three touchdowns. I think it's going to be ugly for Cutcliffe right now. Uh, and I think the, as much as I hate to say it, as much uh, as uh, I'm honestly going to be rooting for Duke, I don't think my rooting for Duke and what David Cutcliffe can scheme up will be enough. Uh, Georgia Tech is going to cover. I'm going to take the Yellow Jackets here. Okay, so, Coach, you just said they won by three touchdowns. They actually – Army only won by five. They won twenty one sixteen last week. They were winning by three touchdowns last time I saw them. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> double check on the score. So they were up twenty one to nothing. But, but it's interesting you guys bring up the, the Army game. Um, 
felt like three. It, it's rare that, especially in, in you know playing in a Power Five conference, you're going to see back-to-back triple option teams. And I think that having played Army last week actually gives Duke an advantage because it's their second week, you know, going against a trip uh, in a row, going up against a triple option team. Um, for that reason, I'm actually taking Duke to cover. I still think Georgia Tech wins, but only wins by three points. So, hmm. um, but speaking of Army, um, they are headed down to play uh, North Texas. Um, uh, it is a, a 6.30 p.m. kick, uh, Eastern's 5.30 local time uh, there in Denton, uh, where uh, North Texas uh, is two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Uh, these two teams are, are combined 15-5. and five. Um, you know, two teams having a very good year. Josh, you saw North Texas up close and personal earlier this year. Who do you like in this one? So I love the Army story. They're eight and two. It's awesome. Back-to-back bowl games. They have just been incredible this year. They've exceeded all expectations. Here's my problem. They have zero wins over teams with a winning record. Their best win is against Temple, who's 5-5. Five and five. They just haven't beaten anybody, and their games are alarmingly close. Barely beat under 500 Buffalo. Barely beat under 500 Eastern Michigan. Uh, barely beat that Temple team. Struggled a little bit with that Duke team that's got a rash of injuries. And you combine that with the fact that North Texas played Army twice last year, so they know the option. They won one of the games. They lost the bowl game in overtime. Uh, North Texas has played a deceptively tough schedule, not counting their losses, just their wins. They've beaten a seven-win UAB team, a six-win other Miss team, an over 500 Texas San Antonio team. This North Texas team is going to win and they're going to snap the streak, and it's going to be kind of sad for Army, but Army will be able to reignite their fire against Navy. But the Mean Green are going to do it, and they're going to cover. Coach? Nice, nice, nice analysis. The Mean Green are rolling right now. They're, they're, they are in pretty good shape. Army's in really good shape as well, coming off a five-point thrashing. Five-point what felt like two touch, three touchdown giraffe thrashing of Duke. Uh, I don't think it's going to be enough though. They're going to, they're going to need more than one pass per game to, uh, to beat North Texas. I'm going to take the under on pass attempts, but I'm going to take North Texas to win and cover at home in Denton. Uh, sorry, army. Uh, I just don't think you have enough of the tank for this one. I really want to pick army here. I really, really want to pick army here. I want to, but I just think they're going to be forced out of, what out of their comfort zone? But Josh actually convinced me in this one. Uh, on this one, I, I, I headed into this saying I was going to pick Army, and uh, Josh, you flipped me here, man. I'm taking North Texas. Dang it! Stop having me pick first. These were <laughs> these were supposed to be my surprises. <laughs> All I right. was hoping both of you were going to blindly take Army. Ah, gotta well, stop being so convincing. Um, it's time for our favorite game. That is pick the ridiculous Kansas line of the week. Um, this week, they are 37-point underdogs at home to Oklahoma. Josh, 
Um, you and I were on the right side of Kansas last week. Um, we got we got them covering. Uh, can they cover for a second straight week? Hmm. Well, here's the thing about Kansas is they can actually pass the ball pretty well. They averaged 242 passing yards. That's 56 in the country. That's better than half. And their scoring isn't great, but it's 25.8 points per game. That's 86. Yeah, that's in the lower tier, but it's not terrible. And when I was looking at it historically, Oklahoma would have covered that the last few years, but not in 2013. Not in 2011, not in 2009, not in 2008, uh, not in 04, not in 01, not in 2000. And then believe it or not, in 95, 96, 97, Kansas won three in a row. Who would have guessed that? But Kansas, it's the same rationale I had last week against Texas, is Kansas just has to find, like, 14 points. And with their better-than-you-would-expect passing attack combined with Oklahoma's atrocious defense, I think the Jayhawks can lose this game by 31 points and allow me to win by covering. I'm going to take the Jayhawks for two weeks in a row. Coach? Ooh. Ah, that's a That's a – Phenomenal, phenomenal spread. I think it's going to be one of those Oklahoma's disinterested. They win by seven touchdowns. They win by 35 points. (laughs) So what does that say? Give me Kansas and the phantom track. All right. Um, The ghosts of tracks, Pats. Josh, it was funny that you said 31 points. I I put this game at 55-24 Oklahoma which is 34 points. That's right, 31 points. Yeah. Um, so third week in a row, I'm going rock, chalk, Jayhawk, baby. Um, so uh, this, this is not meant to be a total backhanded compliment, but based on their offense being able to move the ball, they just can't seem to finish drives. Is Kansas one of the better one-and-nine teams we've seen? I mean, they put up points against West Virginia. They put up points against Kansas. Uh, they – did pretty well against Texas, all things considered. I mean, I know they had those two shutouts in the middle of the season, but I, even with winning a game last year in league, for some reason I feel like Kansas might be a tad better this year than last year. Am I crazy to think that? No, I don't think you're crazy to think that. I, I actually happen to agree with that assessment. So um, that's going to do it for us here today. Um, but before we conclude, um, Josh, it's Michigan week. So that means uh, we, we have to end with, I at least have to end with a couple good uh, Michigan jokes as always. Mm-hmm. Um, so Josh, how do you keep your family safe from Wolverines? Uh, I don't know. Move to Pasadena. <laughs> Um, and also, uh, breaking news, uh, Jim Harbaugh is only dressing half of his players for Saturday's game. The others have to dress themselves. <laughs> nice. Nice, right. nice, nice. Nice. Oh, and uh, th- there's always a, a classic. Uh, did you hear that uh, the big house is changing their turf to cardboard? Um, uh, Michigan always looks better on paper. <laughs> Uh, well played. I like that. Those were good. Yeah, thank you. That's, thank you. Very good. All right. Uh, any final words from you two? 
Yeah, I don't love this as an upset special, but just something that caught my eye. South Carolina hosting nine and one Wofford. They're pretty good. They're a pretty good FCS team. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Wofford steals one. Who knows? But I certainly will be checking the score of that one at three p.m. because this Wofford team is no joke. Coach, any final words from you? Yeah, um, if you're looking. For a head coaching job, uh, Endicott College in Maine, Division Three, is also looking for a head coach. Kevin DeWall will not return next season after finishing three and seven last year. So, get your resumes ready, boys. Oh, nice! <laughs> Always uh, um, gotta love, gotta love. Uh, uh, just out of curiosity, it's just not Mando curiosity. coach. It's in a uh, Beverly, Massachusetts. Not <laughs> I just have a curiosity, which crowd is going to be smaller? Florida State hosting Delaware State or Florida hosting UAB? Florida hosting UAB. People from Birmingham aren't going to make the trip to see their bullbound Blazers? <laughs> <laughs> they might, actually. Uh, there will be more green and gold there than <laughs> – yeah, I, I actually think that Florida State will have, will have the smaller crowd there. So, um, well, that's going to do it for us here today on Illegal Motion. So, uh, on behalf of uh, our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in the Music City, and uh, our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up in Chicago, this is a professor from Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.